Hello everybody, Shift M Podcast, episode 24, uh, I'm Yegor, uh, the subject is software architect and the role of that person in a software project. Uh, even though the podcast is about management, I only know, mostly know how to manage software projects, that's why I'm really interested in the role of this, of this architect person. Since I'm playing that role sometimes and quite often, and uh, I also have some experience in working with software architects, being just a manager. So I know the, well, I feel the importance of that position. I feel the importance of the definition of that person. And I wrote a a number of articles a few years ago on my blog, and I had a few conference talks uh, on that topic as well. My main point was always focused on the uh, on the concept of the architect and I said probably you know that and I said a few times that an architect must be uh, sort of a uh, similar to a movie director who is making all the principal important decisions in making the movie or in making the software and also at the same time takes the full blame for all the faults for all the mistakes which may Uh, happen in the movie. So if the movie is bad or the software product is bad and doesn't work and fails and and, and the customers are not happy, then the full blame goes to the architect. That's how it should be. The architect is guilty all the time. But at the same time, if we make that person guilty, we need to give uh, him or her the full full authority to make any possible decisions the, the, the architect wants to make. Unfortunately, it's not the way it is in in most software teams. And, and even what is even worse is that uh, even the role of a software architect is, is slowly disappearing from from many software companies. I, I read I was preparing for this for this um, podcast uh, yesterday and today, and I found an article, uh, not an article, but the, a Quora uh, question, like people are asking what makes a good architect, and one of the answers, uh, at the bottom of the answer, the, the author said that, says that uh, software architect seems to be a disappearing role, I, I quote, at least at the companies I've, I've worked at. Instead, the responsibilities an architect, uh, the responsibilities an architect once would have um, are divided among many senior developers, end of quote. So that's what I've been observing as well. The, the the role of an architect is slowly disappearing and the companies are just they just don't know teams and companies they just don't know what the person is for and they're just letting the team decide what's better for them so there are a group of programmers they they're moving somehow forward they're developing the code and then they make the decisions all together they're communicating they they vote sometimes they uh, you know the strongest person wins in most cases the loudest person wins and all that. I find that situation rather really sad and not productive, but that's the way it is. So uh, maybe we can change that. Maybe what I'm going to say in the next few minutes will help us change that. So I did an analysis of a few articles and a few books, which I will give you on the on the show notes later. Uh, about that problem. So who is the software architect and what are the qualities of the architect? So what what that person has to do 
and uh, what he has not to do, he must not do, in order to be a good architect. And, and what I found, to be honest, uh, I mostly disagree with. So what people write in the books and in the blog posts, uh, I found that, that they are wrong, and, and I will explain now why. Uh, a few things which are... Mm, I, I made a list of them here. Uh, let's go one by one. There is no order, no particular order. I just, I just, I will just drop them on your head, and, and you just do whatever you want with that. Uh, point number one: Many authors are saying that a good architect is a good mentor. So the architect is supposed to teach people in the project. He has to. I will. Has, I will say he for the architect, even though I've seen a few architects, a few you know, women taking that position. But just for the for the conversation to make it easier, I will say he. Um, so uh, they're saying that he has to be a mentor. He has to teach programmers. He has to uh, you know to help them go forward. To uh, to be a good uh, like a coach. To be a good lead, to be a good mentor. I think it's wrong. I think it's totally wrong. And I ha even have an article about that as well, which is called It's Not a School. That's the title of the article. I'll put it on the show notes as well so you can find it. Uh, uh, it's not a school. What I mean here is that instead of, well, by teaching people in the project, the architect is actually wasting time, first of all. And second, the quality of that of that teaching will be lower, comparing to um, comparing to another approach if the architect takes and teaches the project instead of teaching people. So a good architect must not be a mentor who uh, who babysits people and helps them become better. Instead, he makes the project. I mean the project artifacts like documentation, source code, uh, scripts, uh, algorithms, and uh, not the algorithms, but scripts, and um, I don't know all the environment which stays around the code more uh, understandable, more readable, and 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 uh, more welcome to new programmers. So when I join a project as a programmer and I see that there is an architect who is quite smart and clever and I must learn from him, that creates a frustration for me. Well, that's, that's my own perception. So I don't want to learn from some particular person. I want to look at the project and I want to see all the artifacts, the way they're done, and I want to learn from them. That makes me more comfortable because, because I understand that I can get way more from the source code and from the documentation than it can take from one particular person. The person will give me as much as he can or is he, as much as he wants to give me. He's not going to give me everything. He's not going to teach me everything because, because there are many other programmers around and I will need to fight for his attention. I will need to fight for his time. I will, that, will be, that will create unnecessary and unproductive, unhealthy tension in the team if the architect plays the role of a teacher or a mentor. That will definitely help him to protect his position in the company because everybody will know that uh, he's unreplaceable, that he's so important, and we are we simply have to pay him, continue to pay him so he can stay in the project. But on the long run, the long term, 
that only makes us well it only creates frustration only creates uh, unnecessary stress for programmers because they become dependent on the mentor the mentor creates so so called uh, you know some kind of a relationship between a mentor and the student and that relationship are not productive for the project they they will they destroy the project that's that's my point instead a, a good architect has to distance himself from all the people around the project and let them learn everything they need from from the digital artifacts the quality of the digital artifacts depend on the architect definitely so he must be a good writer he must be a good documenter he must be a good uh, explainer he must be he must be maybe a good i don't know podcast recorder so instead of teaching students he must record i don't know a, a video uh, an introductory video for the project or he must uh, create an extensive and detailed documentation of how to get into the project he must find all the all the necessary links to books to articles to blog posts Maybe he needs to write a blog post, or maybe a number of blog posts, or maybe create a, a, an internal uh, an internal blog for the entire project in the company, where he will post everything he knows about the project and teach and teach people. So, so let's let's put it this way: he must be a teacher, of course, but the way he teaches must be impersonal, not personal, not direct, not teaching people, but teaching the project, and then people will get this information from the project. So that's my first point. Don't be a mentor. Don't don't make don't don't find students and don't build relationship with them as as a student and and uh, and the teacher. Instead, work with digital artifacts. And the more they come to you for information, the more they see you as a mentor, the worse architect you are. So you're doing a bad job if people are coming to you and respecting you for the information you possess. It means that you're not you don't know how to share the information the right way so you're not professional enough if people are coming to you asking for information and and uh, expecting you to be their teacher that's my first point which many many articles all, all articles I found they're all saying the same be a good mentor be a good teacher uh, the second thing which I also found which kind of triggered my uh, disagreement is that they are saying that a good architect has to be a domain expert so they are saying that the architect must know uh, some of them are saying they that the architect must know more than anyone else in the team about the product we're developing or about the domain uh, the domain area we're working in so if say we're developing uh, a mobile app then for 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 android for example then the architect must know how android apps work and he is the the most skilled programmer in the area of android apps and moreover if it's an android app for let's say for um, maybe uh, i don't know for um, for the rental business for apartment rental business then the architect must be an expert in how apartments get rented online. So he must know how to develop the application, he must know to understand the market, he must, he must be able to put all these things together. So he's so-called like a big brain in the, in, the, in the project, which has all the answers for the, for the domain. Or maybe not all the answers, but most of the answers. That's what they say, that's what 
that's what so many articles are let me even find it now yeah let me quote it yeah I'm quoting the answer from Quora about the architect the good a good software architect knows enough about the software domain to know what components are needed to do the job they understand the trade-offs between readability flexibility performance blah 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 they are familiar with the spectrum of appropriate design choices and can guide selection of the best set to meet system requirements well the, the words the words are quite vague here they're like saying something and not really saying specifically what it means but you get the point so the main expert i disagree i don't think it's true i think it's actually a bad architect who thinks that he's an expert a domain expert because because you cannot be well like a good movie director like a good architect like a good leader of any like a good technical leader or a leader of any team you must always be in doubt that you know what to do and in order to resolve that doubt you need to invite expert to the experts to the team instead of being an expert i think the good architect always understands that he is not an expert at all and he always needs consult a consult uh, needs to consult with someone who knows better where to get that people is what makes an architect a good architect so a good architect is the a good architect is not a domain expert but he knows where to get domain experts and how to work with them that's what makes uh, any leader actually a good leader is the ability to find knowledge not to can not to possess knowledge because you cannot be the smartest guy in the room never it's it's just impossible and it's, and it's silly to think so uh, and you will only win if you consider yourself uh, not the smartest guy not the, the best domain expert not an expert at all but think of yourself like I don't know let's say I'm an architect and I, I jump into the project there's Android mobile app development for uh, for the rental market, for the market of uh, these apartments rentals, uh, I don't know nothing about the market. That's what I've. That's what I will say first. I don't really know how to develop Android app. I'm not an Android developer. Maybe I'm a Java developer. But I don't know. I'm not an Android developer. I don't know how to deploy Android applications in the right way. I don't know how to test Android applications. I don't know really how. Uh, the market will react. What, what are the performance requirements on the market? What are the requirements of this Google store who will need to, you know, accept my application? I don't know how to market this application. I don't know so many things. So what do I do first? I, I, I find people who will help me with this. I find experts who will tell me how to do it right. And I'm not just going to ask them, hey, be my friend, tell me how to do it. But I will not trust them on their information. I will not just blindly accept their information. I will find two, three experts. I will collect different opinions. I will compare the different opinions. And then I will make the decision which opinion seems right, which opinion seems wrong. And I will always be, like I said, I will always be full of doubts about that information. And I will never try to, uh, try to take this information into my head. Because I know that tomorrow I will be doing a project for uh, for the server application, for the big data application. There will be a completely different set of questions. 
And what, I will become a domain, domain expert again? No. That will just be a waste of my time. I don't want to learn that things. I, I want to learn the, the methods and practices of how to fetch information from people and how to, com how, to, um, how to deal with unknowns, how to deal with uh, vague and unclear and, uh, um, you know, um, uh, not so precise and not so accurate uh, estimates and uh, analysis and, and input which is coming to me as an architect so an architect which says that I'm a domain expert thanks for inviting me for the project I know how to sell Android apps apps I know how to develop them I've done that before I'll do it for you don't 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 work with that people because they they will definitely make mistakes and they will definitely lie about their qualities because nobody is perfect and if they think they are perfect, if they think that they have knowledge, if they think, if they consider themselves as domain experts, they will just ruin the project because of their uh, ignorance and because of their self-confidence. A good software architect is always in doubt. Always in doubt. It's always, you know, looking at things and asking all the time, like, are we going the right way? Is it true? Can we really trust that information? Do we really know that this is the right way to, to deploy or this is the right way to test or this is the right way to, uh, to check the, uh, I don't know, the, the performance of our app. So saying that a good architect is a domain expert is a, is a very, very serious uh, misunderstanding of the role, which, which make people, you know, which, which actually uh, uh, give people wrong information about their future. So if it's a young developer or just a developer who is looking for, um, you know, for a career, uh, ex a career extension or improvement, um, he reads that, that information and it says, you have to be a domain expert. So he's like, okay, what is my domain? That's the first question. Okay, my domain probably is, uh, I don't know, some gaming, for example, online gaming. Okay, I'm going to stay in the domain of online gaming. That's wrong. You don't stay there. You don't become an online gaming expert. You become an expert in building software applications, which means that you know how to find experts in online gaming. I hope you get the point. Point number three, which is also uh, um, bothers me a little bit when I read that, is that most articles and books are saying that uh, an architect must be uh, optimistic. I don't know why they're using exactly that word, optimistic, but that's what they're saying, optimistic. And yeah, it's also from Quora and, uh, and the book I found. So they're saying, I'm quoting, a good architect is positive and the source of can-do optimism for the entire undertaking. Uh, I think you already understand what I'm against of here. Um, this optimistic thinking uh, is totally against the very idea of risk management, which a good architect must be you know, capable of doing and know how to do. Projects fail. We know that. And they fail a lot. <clears throat> Most of them fail, actually. And they fail 
for because of technical failures, of course, but the majority of failures are happening because of management failures. And management, the core element of project management is risk management, I believe. Everything else like scope management, cost management, uh, time management, they're all things that are secondary. They stay on top of risk management. If there would be no risks in the project, we would not, we would not need cost, cost uh, schedule, uh, quality, time, and all that things, management of them. Everything would be just fine. But we have risks. We have things which fall apart. We have things which fail. We have threats. We have failures, basically. <clears throat> and the job of a project manager is to always predict and estimate and forecast somehow what may go wrong and what's going to be our response to that things. So what we will do if that things fail, what's going to happen if, if the... You know, if the performance is not high enough, what's going to happen if we can't deploy? What's going to happen if we lose a programmer? What's going to happen if we, uh, if our testing coverage is going to be too low and we're going to have too many bugs? What's going to happen if, 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 if there are so many ifs in a project, which a project manager needs to know, and the architect has to help a project manager to collect that information from the technical area. A project manager has many other sources of, of risks, like cost risks, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to not have enough funding, which doesn't concern the architect. The architect is just getting money from, he doesn't know from where, they're just coming in. But the project manager has to care about money. The PM has to know that there is some budget here and we need to allocate the budget, we need to make sure the budget will come. There are stakeholders <coughs> which may... Uh, which may uh, disturb us sometimes, which may become negative stakeholders, which may uh, cause uh, many other project uh, problems. So the project manager needs this information, and the architect is the source of this information for, 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 the, for the PM. And if the, project, if the architect is optimistic, if the architect says everything will be fine, I'm like, I'm looking at the future and it looks so bright to me. Everything will work. The application will be fast. Our service will just fly and uh, all our programmers will be happy and the code will be clean. That's just, that's just an idiot, excuse me, but not an architect. An optimistic architect is a bad architect. An architect has to be pessimistic. He has to look at the future and say, hey, guys, there are so many things which may fail and most likely they will fail. So I am super pessimistic about, about everything we're doing here. And now let's sit down and think what we can do instead, like in order to solve it a little bit and make it a little bit better and, and create some fallback plans and some risk response plans and some, you know, something which will, some double measures which will prevent us from, uh, from failing the whole thing. If he's optimistic, he's untrustable. He's um, unreliable. He's just, a, he's just a nice guy who is maybe, you know, he's got more technical knowledge than, than everybody else, but that's it. We can't rely on him technically. We cannot listen to him. We cannot trust the information he's given because he, he's optimistic. Some people are optimistic because they're stupid. Some people are optimistic because they're hiding information. They just don't want to reveal all these negative uh, things. Some people are just afraid. 
because they know that, as I said before, we're going to blame them. We're going to blame the architect for all the failures. So it's better to hide them and say, hey, I'm a super optimistic, just, the, the, just like the article recommends. I read the book about the architect and it says I have to be optimistic. So I am optimistic. I'm not going to say bad things about anything. I'm like always positive. But what good will that do to a project? I think it's just super wrong saying that the, the architect has to be optimistic. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of looks... It's, well, of course, being pessimistic and... Well, there is a difference between being pessimistic or skeptical uh, and being negative. So I'm not saying an architect has to be negative, like, you know, always um, be in a bad mood and complaining about things and uh, just whining about you know everything no that that's not that's not pessimistic and it's not it's not being skeptical it's being just uh it's just bad manners so if a if a person acts like that in a team then of course he's not an ar- a good architect either because instead of doing something instead of be, instead of being productively pessimistic productively skeptical about the future he's just uh he's just being over aggressive against the situation against the reality Instead, a person has to be, of course, like thinking, not, I mean, yeah, positive or, yeah, I would say, I'm not saying positive thinking because these, these two words are, they have so many um, negative connotations. I'm saying that the person, have, uh, the person has, to be, uh, has to be in a good mood <laughs> thinking positively about potential problems, but not seeing that problems, ignoring them, and pretending to be they don't exist, that's a, serious, that's a serious mistake of a project architect. So I would suggest not to call, not to say positive, but use the word skeptical. That's better. So be positive and skeptical. I'm here. We're working forward. We may have success. We're all trying to be successful. But we all realize that there are so many obstacles on the way towards the success. And our job is not to ignore them, not to say, hey, guys, they're not going to happen. Most of them will happen. We most likely will lose a few programmers on our way towards the result. We most likely will hit a few problems with these open source libraries, and some of them will fail, and we will not have any ability to fix that. And most likely our software will be slower than we're expecting, and all that. All of that will happen, most likely. Now let's calculate the probability. Let's calculate the impact of that. Let's do the risk analysis. Let's create fallback plans. Let's, let's build some response plans. Do the real, do the normal risk management. And, and that will help us. Being optimistic is not going to help us. The next point, <laughs> which also I didn't like, um, which is close to the domain expert problem, uh, some some articles are saying that the domain expert has to be credible. They say credible, meaning that um, the, 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 the guy has to be trustable by the team. So the team has to like the person, has to respect the person, has to trust the person, and has to trust the, uh, the technical opinions he's producing, the technical solutions he's suggesting. Uh, and based on that trust and based on that credit, which the team, and not the team only, but also the upper management, uh, give to the architect, uh, that kind of helps 
uh, that, that's what they are saying. That helps, that helps the team move forward better because the person is so trustable, the person has all the cred credits, and, and, uh, and we know that the architect doesn't make mistakes, which is perfect. So we can rely on that guy and everything will be fine. Um, again, it's close to the domain expert problem. I don't think it's true. I don't think it's good. It's right. I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, false, uh, it's a false objective. The, the architect must not be a person who we trust. The architect must be the person who knows how to, uh, who, who, who is capable of, of proving everything by facts and by analysis so if he's saying that we need to use this open source library then we know that there is a there is a analysis of all other libraries being done and there will be there there was a criteria defined and according to the criteria defined the best library was selected and we know that the architect could always present that that, that spreadsheet, that table of comparison, where we can see the criteria and we can see all the possible options considered, and then we understand why the option number three was selected. So instead of trusting the person, we trust the data. And the architect can always prove. The architect is not, must not stay behind technical decisions. Of course he makes all the decisions, technical decisions, but he's always making them um, relying on facts and analysis. If he will abuse that decision-making power he has, if he will make all the decisions out of his mood and out, out of his just guts and out of his instincts, just because he's got an intuition, he says, hey, I love this library, let's go for it. We can, we can accept that one time, maybe two times, maybe three times, but the more he does that, the more he relies on his, on his uh, intuition, the less, uh, the less good he's, he's doing for the project. He's basically damaging the project. First of all, we're gonna lose trust, people will lose trust in that, in that guy. We'll see that we're going for the leader, but who knows for how long luck will stay with the leader. And, and, and it's not really fun to work with someone who knows everything and, 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 he, and, he, we just, and he's doing everything out of his, out of his, uh, uh, well, intuition or whatever, out of his some inner information who we don't have access to. If I'm a programmer and I work for the with the architect who is uh, always knows what to do, and uh, I'm supposed to trust him, I'm supposed to give all the credit to him, and he's so credible and so you know respectful in the organization that he just knows what to do right. Well, it will be fun for me for a few days, maybe a few weeks. But then I want to know more about what's going on, why the decisions are made. Like, where is the data? Who, what, what, did we actually think about something else? Did we compare all the possible options? And if we did, where can I see this analysis? And there is no analysis. I know that, 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 uh, the, that the project has a lot of limitations because we are limited to the capabilities of one guy. We are as good as that one person. And if the person is gone, if he's, he leaves, he quits the, the project tomorrow, then what do we stay with? The intuition is gone. He's somewhere else. So what do we have? We didn't have any analysis. We didn't have any data. 
So it's not fun to work with such a person, with such a credible person. It's way better to work with the person who always says, hey guys, I'm not sure, I don't know, I'm not an expert, but I did the analysis. I collected the opinions. I put the opinions in the, in the spreadsheet and you can look at that spreadsheet and then I made the decision to go with the option number three. Yes, I put my you know, power, <clears throat> my decision-making power there, of course. I, uh, it's not completely democratic, absolutely not. So I'm the decision-maker here. I'm the dictator, but I'm a smart dictator. I dictate according to the information I collect. And you all have access to this information. You know where did I get the information. You know why I dictate that way. If you don't like it, that's the door. You can leave the team. If you like it, you stay with me. But you're not staying with me because I'm such a good guy. You're not staying with me, be with me because I'm trustable or credible or whatever, or smart or expert. No, you stay with me because I'm a good information collector. And then, on top of that information, I'm a good decision maker. That's what I think it should be, comparing to many other uh, sources which are saying the opposite. Uh, one more thing. Well, I have a few more things. Um, saying no versus saying yes. So I found in the book, let me quote it. They're saying, as architects, that's a quote, as architects, we need to look for ways to say yes. It's page number 32 in the book by Dave Hendrickson. As architects, we need to look for ways to say yes. Meaning that an architect, and there, the whole book is basically about it. It's built around this quote. So the book is all about like politics and being a nice guy and finding a way to grow in an organization and pleasing as many people as possible around and finding a way to communicate right with them and not offend too many people and always listen to them. So it's, it's basically, well, the book is for, for those who want to be, who want to survive in, a, in an enterprise, uh, enterprise environment. Just survive, which is true. I mean, if you really want to, if you are in some big corporation and you want to be an architect there for as long as you can, to stay there, to, give, to get a good payroll, uh, to be likable, uh, to be not in the stress, to not fight too much with, with people around you, uh, to enjoy your weekends, to go home <clears throat> you know, earlier than others, then this is a good book for you. So be the person who is finding a ways to say yes. But, but your projects are not going to be successful. In big organizations, it doesn't matter. You're still going to be paid. The projects will still go forward somehow. They're not really too much. They're not really looking for you know, successes, successes. They're looking for just progress, just move, not progress even, but... Uh, process. Um, if you want to be successful, your strategy has to be quite the opposite. I mean, successful in terms of project-wise, not career-wise, but project-wise. I think many of you will say, "I don't want my projects to be successful. I want to be successful myself. I want to, you know, get my, um, you know, I want to get as big salary as I can and just, you know, enjoy my weekends." But if we are talking about, an, if I would hire an architect in my project, and I'm the founder of the project, and I'm the, the sponsor of the project, and I give my own money for this, then I don't want my architect to say yes. That would be, <laughs> that would be a disaster, not an architect. If my architect will always look for ways to say yes, 
then my money will be just wasted quite fast and uh, in the end my architect will just say yes we, <laughs> we spent all the money do you have more <laughs> i completely disagree with this approach i don't think the architect has to say yes the architect has to look for ways to say no that's the job of the architect otherwise why would we, why would we need an architect why what's the point of having that person there if he's always looking uh, for for uh, for agree for for accepting for agreeing with people around him then we just can remove him entirely and everybody will be just fine without that person they they just do what they do so what's the point of having someone who is looking for ways to say yes to agree with people around instead an architect has to be the defender of the of the project of the quality of the project the, the project the architect has to say we do things in this project this way because they are uh, they are the right way this is how it should be done and uh, there will be a lot of people around that architect who will try to uh, compromise the quality who will try to go against the quality who will try to <clears throat> break the rules the architect will have to say no in different ways not not necessarily personally saying no to people but creating some new rules new instruments creating some new unit tests for example let's say the architect is working with a, a group of programmers well it's been I, i'm speaking out of experience i i've done that many times i look at what programmers are doing and then i realize that they keep making the same mistake in the source code I see that they're using this approach or this libraries or these methods or classes, which I don't want to use because I think they're wrong. Then I have to invent a mechanism which will prevent them from doing that. I don't want to teach them. I don't want to be a tutor. I don't want to go around the office and explain to them, hey guys, please don't use this, this list of these classes because they're wrong. Let's use that classes instead. And they will listen to me and say, okay 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 and then another person joins the team and he doesn't know what to use and again i have to go around the office and teach that person again and again so it's it's not the right way i need to find a way to say no in a more constructive way what do i do i introduce some some unit tests for example some checks some software checks which will for example fail the build when um, well will we'll break the software when somebody is trying to break the to violate the quality so if somebody is trying to use something which is not allowed in this piece of software, then the software itself will just reject it. That's the way I'm saying no to somebody. I'm not accepting whatever they do. If I would be the person who is always looking for ways to say yes, I would just say, sure, let's use these libraries and that libraries and everything. Let's, 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 be, let's love everybody. But then in the end, the project just collapse because it, it's, that's the road to chaos. If you want order, if you want discipline, and this is what good architect is about, and good project manager as well, order, discipline, rules, principles, restrictions, control, these are the words which make an architect good. How can we put all these words together and then say we're looking for ways to say yes? Order, control, discipline, rules, restrictions, punishment, and then yes. Of course it's no. So you're always looking for ways to say no. The more, the more frequently you say no, the higher is the quality of the product. And the architect is responsible for the quality. What else? 
The architect is not responsible for good relationship in the team, which also some of these books are saying. Like relationship is way more important than quality, some of them say, or it's way important than, than, uh, than results. No, it's not. Relationship is the result, is not the goal. The relationship or the mood in the team or the morale of the team or the, um, the, um, you know, the feelings of, of how people feel the team, what they feel when they work, it's the product, it's a byproduct of the discipline, order, restrictions, rules, control and everything. So if you, if you enforce everything correctly, if the architect enforces the discipline in the team, then the best programmers will start, will start to enjoy it, will start to like it, will, will enjoy working on it. The worst programmers will just quit. But that's perfect, that's good, that's what we want. But we're not looking for relationship first. If we're gonna, if we're gonna, if we're gonna value relationship over control and over quality, then we're gonna build a good team of good people liking each other, producing really horrible products or producing nothing at all. Instead, we need to, you know, we need to fight for, for control and discipline and rules. And that's my observation that the worst people, I mean, not the worst people, but the people who are capable of producing the worst quality of software, like programmers who are, for some reasons, are lazy or are technically incapable or not skilled enough. I'm not saying they're good, they're bad people. I'm saying they're not capable for some reasons to produce the results we're looking for. So these people are the most relationship interested people they are looking for relationship they're looking for maintaining good relationship in the team because that's the only thing they can do that's that's their that's their that's their that's the skills they possess that's all they can do to survive is to use the relate is to play the relationship card they cannot survive because they write uh, you know the best unit test in the team or they can really solve problems faster and they can produce the high quality code no, all they can do is communicate better, you know, dance at the, at the, at the, the corporate parties, they can, they can uh, tell the jokes in the best way. These people are relationship focused. I'm not saying they're bad people, I'm just saying that this is the only instrument they have. And if we're going to focus on, on maintaining a relationship and saying yes, and always trying to please people and keep the mood and keep the morale in the team on a high level, then we definitely will sacrifice uh, discipline, order, control, and, and restrictions and all that. So there will be no discipline, there will be no order, no quality, no, no ability to say no, but we will have good relationship. It's good for enterprise environment maybe, where they don't really care about you know, immediate results, they, they just care about maintaining the company. When there are like uh, 5,000 people in the, in the company, then of course they care about you know, keeping this huge farm of people under control and they, they, they have to be stable. It has to be stable. You cannot just, you know, it's difficult, not can, it's super difficult. It's almost impossible uh, to enforce, you know, to, to, to rule that crowd, that huge group of people by strict rules and, 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 and strict discipline. Um, well, we can if it's an army, but if it's, a, it's an enterprise, and it's possible because in the modern, it's probably a different subject, but in, in the modern society, we don't have basically, you know, proper mechanisms for, uh, for punishment of such a big group amount of people. 
but in a small project, we can. We, you can easily reject someone who you don't like. In big enterprise, well, 5,000 people, there are like 4,000 of them are losers and, and lazy. You cannot reject all of them. You will kill the enterprise. You will kill the company. And the company, when there are 5,000 people, they technically cannot find good people on the market. So, so big amount. It's not possible. So they, they hire anyone they can. They just hire everybody. They hire people who are just capable of coming to the office at 9 a.m. and leaving the office at 5. That's, that's, that's enough. If you can do that and you have a diploma, you can write Java, that's good. Join in. And they get a lot of them, many people. And then these people, of course, they, it's difficult to, to, to manage them because they're average on, on, on their skills. But if we're talking about an architect and a small project, if we're talking about one person you know, and just you know, 10 programmers, then, of course, you need to manage them differently. You have to say no instead of saying yes if you want, if you want results. Um, let me check how much time we have. Yeah, okay. Um, and one more point. Um, the last one is that um, many of them are saying that uh, an architect position may be taken by a team, a group, a few people, instead of an individual, instead of one person. Um, I don't think it's right, and you already probably understand why I'm saying that. Uh, I don't think it's possible to effectively blame a group of people. And it's not possible to effectively give authority to a group of people, even two people. So two architects, it's, I can't imagine how this can work. It may work for some time until they disagree. So if they agree, if everything is more or less fine, then, then they will move forward. The moment they disagree, technically disagree, that whole thing will fall apart. Because who are you going to listen to? Who's going to make the final decision? And what will happen if it's a group of people playing the role of an architect? What will happen is that they will make a compromise. In, in order to survive as a group. Because for them it will be very important to, to stay alive as a group. They don't want to, you know, to fall apart and just move to different projects and just quit. Well, they may, but they will try to, to prevent that from happening for some time. Of course, if the disagreement level will go up and up and up, then eventually they will just quit. But initially, they will try to find a compromise. They will try to find a consensus. Like, you are right a little bit, I'm right a little bit, but we are wrong both. So let's find something in the middle. And that something in the middle will always be based on the desire to maintain relationship instead of finding the right technical solution. So if I'm technically right, then I will try to... Uh, well, first, first I'll try to convince people around me. And if they don't agree, then I will try to force them. That's the way it should be done if I'm, if I'm sure that my decision is right. If I'm the architect, I know that I will be blamed for that. I know this is my responsibility to, my, to make the movie good. I'm a director. I'm an architect. I want to make the product good. Then I have a technical decision. So I want to, in, to, to convince them that I'm right. If they don't listen, I say, okay, now it's time to shut up and do my way. So first I convince, then I use force. But if there are a number of people and then I have a fellow architect sitting next to me, I cannot force that person. I will try to convince and then what? 
if, if he's not convincible, then what do I do? Then I will accept some in the middle, something in the middle. I will sacrifice quality. I will sacrifice my, uh, I will, uh, yeah, I will uh, not sacrifice, but I will uh, uh, suppress my desire, my intention to, um, to make the quality perfect. One time, maybe it will be okay. Two times, three times. In the in the end, we'll have we'll have nothing. We'll we'll have no architect. We'll just have a group of people, just having fun, enjoying you know living, enjoying st staying together in the same office, living there for eight hours a day or sixteen hours a day. But the product will suffer because of that. Because the product needs strong uh, technical leader who may be wrong sometimes, and he will be wrong sometimes. But let me finish, let me wrap it up now with this final thought, is that, of course, the product will be as good as the architect that develops it. The movie will be as good as the movie director. It's not possible to a movie, a great movie, to appear from an average director and a good team around him. I don't think it's possible. Well, I'm not a movie guy. I don't know how they move, they make movies, but I think it's not possible. So I know how it happens in software development. So in the software development, the better the architect, the, not the better, but the quality of the, the quality of the architect defines the quality of the result. And so, of course, we need to understand that. So we don't need to expect super quality from an average architect from from an average architect. And we must expect super quality from a super architect. If there is no super quality, then we need to change the architect. So we play with this. So it's, it's, it's a replay. It's a position which, which a position where we, re, we may replace uh, the person. So the architect can come and go, can join the project, and then can leave because he's not capable of producing the quality we're looking for. So it's, 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 is, it's an equal sign that must stay between the product we're creating and the architect uh, that, that creates that product. And that's what I'm telling my customers as well. When they want, to, uh, when they want to, a product to be developed, I'm saying your first step for you is to find the architect. It's not about the team. It's not about the technology. It's not about the, uh, the requirements. It's not, it's, first of all, it's about the architect, the person who will jump in and say, now I'm responsible for the result. I'll do it. Or I fail. Blame me if I fail congratulate me and reward me if I succeed. And of course, it's not so easy. It's not easy to find a good architect. Um, not because they're not technically good people. There are a lot of technically like capable programmers and really good programmers who can write really good code. But I think because of the articles which are, which are everywhere on the internet, which are giving this false, advi false advice to people, I think we don't have really people with architect mentality. We have just developers, good developers, super developers, really talented developers. But we have less and less architects because all these articles, all these recommendations are counterproductive, are, counter, uh, are against the logic. They are suggesting something which, is, which goes completely against the logic of being an architect, of what the architect is. So by this podcast, I wanted to try to change that this uh, this problem we have on the market thanks for listening come back next time bye bye